0: evening, everyone. Thank you, Glenn. Uh, Please turn with me to uh, Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, It's page 1210 in the Pew Bibles. Uh, Here at Windsor, we have a number of different sentences and sayings and catchphrases and mantras that appear on a relatively regular basis. And if you've been around this church for any length of time you'll know them or you'll have heard them before. Uh, Richard's already used one of them uh, as part of his announcements, but phrases like the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart, up in and out, and then it's not only how you start that matters, it's also how you finish that counts. There's more, but there's three of them, and tonight I want to pick up on this last one, this third one, as we get back, as Glenn said, or as we get back into Hebrews. It's been a few weeks. Uh, the Christian life, as many of us know, is, is often compared to, it's described as, it's pictured as a race. Uh, and the New Testament writers, maybe Paul in particular, uses that metaphor to, to encourage Christians, who he describes as kind of participants in this race, but he uses that metaphor to, to encourage us to run well, to run well to the very end, to run to the finish line. And the, the writer of Hebrews does exactly the same. He, he does just that, he, he urges every Christian disciple, every contestant, and primarily those he's first writing to, to run, and to kind of keep running, to, to do a forest Gump. But, before, but more than that, he doesn't just tell his original readers to run, he actually explains how they should run. How they should run better, how they should run freer, how they should run more effectively until it's over, until it's completed, until the race is done. And, And it's really important as we get back into this letter to remember the context or a really important aspect of it because the original recipients of this letter, those first century Christians, the Hebrews, were in danger of just packing it all in. They were in danger of bailing out, quitting, giving up, stopping, running, And there were a whole host of reasons for that. And I don't know if you're here tonight, and for some of us, that's maybe where we're at. That we're fighting the going tough. It's hard. It's hard to keep running. And we're tempted to just pack it in. Give up. And so the writer has been going out of his way to inspire and to motivate his readers to just listen, hang in there, please keep going, remain faithful. And at this particular point in the letter, and I know we're getting near the end of it, but at this particular point, he's just spent an entire chapter, Hebrews 11, listing a whole number of examples from the past of faithful characters, Faithful runners, faithful participants, faithful contestants. Men and women of faith from their history, from their backstory who have all gone before them. Who trusted God and kept trusting God in all kinds of ways and in all kinds of situations and circumstances. These were people who kept running and who kept going. But as he writes on and as we come into chapter 12, and I know we didn't go right through the whole of chapter 11, and we may come back to it. But as he gets into chapter 12, he shifts the focus. Because, Lois says, listen, it's great to recall and remember people like Abel and Abraham. And people like Jacob and Joseph. And people like Samuel and Sarah. But the ultimate person that you need to remember. The ultimate person that you need to focus on and fix your eyes on is Jesus. And right throughout this letter and from the very beginning of it, he has been saying this very thing. Consider Jesus. Think about Jesus. It's been a recurring, constant theme and emphasis because why? Jesus is greater. Jesus is better than anything and anyone and everything else. And if you're going to last, if you're going to endure, if you're going to finish this course, if you're going to keep running into the end, then you need to fix your eyes on him. You need to fix your attention on him. You need to fix your focus on him. That's so hard because there's so many other things that distract us. And even right now, many of us are distracted because there's stuff going on that captures our attention, that captures our focus, that captures our gaze, that captures our vision. And therefore, we find it really hard, even in these moments, to focus on Jesus. So if you're sitting here tonight and already things are just rattling around your head that are grabbing your attention, I invite you to kind of refocus, sharpen the focus. And so let's start reading about how we run. The kind of things that we need to do, the kind of decisions that we, we need to make, because we do have to do certain things. We do have to make certain decisions if we're going to last the distance. But before we do it, let's consider the support. Here's how it begins, chapter 12, therefore, which, remember, is one of those hinge words, flows from what has gone before. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, now just pause there for a second, because it somehow seems that, that all those people of faith, many of whom he's named, but there's also been those he's unnamed, You read chapter 11, there's people listed, but there's also people he refers to who he doesn't name. But it seems that all those people of faith who have gone before them, and we're talking about like way before them, all those listed in chapter 11, it somehow seems they haven't gone away. They haven't disappeared altogether. Now, there's an element of mystery here, but it appears they are surrounding these original readers of Hebrews in some way. It's as if they are standing in the tiered rows of the world stadium, and they're kind of willing these new runners on. They are cheering them on. They're encouraging them on. They're supporting them on. Yeah, they have finished the race. All those in uh, Hebrews, they have finished the race. And now it's over to these Hebrews. And now it's over to us. These former contestants, he says, they were witnesses. Witnesses to faith. Witnesses to the faithfulness of God. And therefore, as you Hebrews run and as we still run today, we can and we should look to them. They're heroes, they're heroines, and examples of faithful Christian living and trust in God right to the very end. They are proof. They're not living proof in the way we tend to understand that. But they are proof that you can finish well. People like Abraham. People like Moses. They're they're proof that you can finish well. And so learn from their stories. They're witnesses. They surround you. Learn from their stories, which is why in Hebrews 11, he's gone to list so many aspects of their stories. You know, many athletes today are inspired by others. Many athletes today have kind of grown up watching their heroes and run and row and jump and play, and they have allowed their example to motivate them and have become role models to them. Well, for these Christians and for those of us who are Christians, there is a place for learning from and looking to others who have gone before us. I'm not just talking about those who have gone before us 2,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago, but godly parents who have gone before us. Godly grandparents, Sunday school teachers, youth leaders, friends, heroes of the faith to us from the last century, the last decade, the last year, recent runners, recent faithful men and women of God, who we can look to We can learn from their stories because they are witnesses to the faithfulness of God. They're witnesses of people who can run right to the very end. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of them. So we're reminded, first of all, we need to run supported. Previous pioneers have blazed the way. They're behind you. Literally, they're behind you. Figuratively, they're behind you. But then he gets specific. Then the writer gets direct, and he says, right, here's three things you're going to need to do. If you're going to keep going, you need to know that you are supported, and you should run support, but here's three things you've got to do to finish well, and we've got to keep doing these things. Let's stand for the public reading of God's word. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the author, the source, and the perfecter of faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Please take a seat. So that you do not grow weary and lose heart. Three things that they had to do to stay on track. If you're not going to bail out of this race, if you're not going to quit, if you're going to last the course, here's three things you need to do. The first is you've got to ditch whatever slows you down, whatever holds you up, whatever threatens to trip you up. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And so we've got to run supported, but we've also got to run unhindered. And there's two aspects to this, and and we'll come to the sin aspect in a moment. But he starts by referencing excess baggage that sometimes restricts our ability to run well, to run properly. And I reckon when it comes to this and when we hear these words, that for different people, this refers to different things. And therefore, it requires a certain amount of honest to God, self-examination, and personal reflection. So the question is, what, what might be holding you back in your Christian life at the moment? What is it that might be weighing you down? What is it that could be unsettling your rhythm? Now, we're not talking about sin. I'm not talking about sins. I mean, we'll get there in a second. But it's something different he seems to be referring to. Why would he then use two different phrases and references? You see, some of the things that that hinder us from running well and growing as Christians are not necessarily bad or wrong or sinful in and of themselves. But they still have the potential to slow us down. They still have the potential to impede and limit our performance. They still have the potential to knock us off our stride. And so, for example, it could be a particular interest that's beginning to consume us. It could be a kind of hobby that has got out of all proportion in terms of time and attention. It could be a relationship that is less than helpful. Maybe a pattern of life. Maybe it's a habit, maybe it's a lifestyle choice that impacts our discipleship negatively. It could be a distraction, as I say, that's capturing our focus. It's not that it's wrong in and of itself, but it's hindering us, it's holding us back, it's weighing us down. Maybe it's worry. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's possessions. Not, not these things wrong in and of themselves but they can seriously hamper our progress. And so our coach in Hebrews 12 urges us to strip off anything that is in danger of inhibiting you. And so it throws up the obvious question for any disciple of Jesus who does want to keep running and who does want to finish well, is there anything hindering me? Is there anything hindering me? As I stand before you this evening, I, I've got to ask myself that question. I've got to ask that question honestly before God. Is there anything that, if not kept in check, in my life at this moment in time, has got the potential to divert me off course, or at the very least, it's going to slow me down? May it might even cause me to stumble. Is there? Is there in your life? And then we come to the second aspect, the second dimension. Because he then says, yeah, and you've also got to throw off the sin that so easily entangles and ties us up. You see, just because you're running along a different path, in a sense, from the, the rest of the world just because you're running along this narrow path, just because you're on a different discipleship track, doesn't mean sin's no longer an issue for you. Because you see, the reality is sin remains a live issue for each and every Christian. And any Christian who says otherwise is deluded. Or at least, according to one biblical writer, if you say you don't struggle with sin, you're a non-truth teller. And I know this is something we we, we keep coming back to. We kind of keep circling around to, and and it's vitally important that we do, but we need to be clear at the start. Because of Jesus and because of our trust in him who is our once for all sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins as we've been learning throughout this letter. Because of Jesus and our trust in him and our faith in him, we are no longer slaves to sin. Sin no longer is in control of our lives. But God's word never says that sin will stop assaulting or enticing us after conversion. Nowhere does it say that. Nowhere does it say that, but we all know this experientially. Like if I was to say to you, hands up if you're a Christian here tonight and you haven't been tempted to sin this week, How many of us would stick our hands up? You see, sin is a real threat with which Christians must constantly contend. Sin can, as the writer says, it can easily entangle believers. He's writing to believers, and he says, "Listen, you need to get rid of this stuff that can easily entangle you. It can mess with your heads, your hearts, your hands. It can throw you off course, and all around us, there are casualties." The sinful nature, our sinful my sinful nature has not been completely extinguished now that I'm a follower of Jesus. I can still follow the desires of the sinful nature. I can still do it, have done it. And that is according to the teaching of Galatians 5. And we might have, and thank God, we do have the spirit of the living God within us, and we are urged to follow his lead, and we're urged to keep in step with him. But as Paul writes on in Galatians chapter five, he says, you see this old nature and your new nature? These two forces are constantly in conflict with each other. They're fighting each other. Our internal lives are a battleground. Our hearts are a theater of conflict. And therefore, sin is going to continue to seduce and entice. It's going to tempt. It's going to tease. And specific sins, deadly sins like lust and pride and greed and jealousy and envy, they still need to be addressed in my life. And the writer of Hebrews knew this. And every New Testament writer knew this, and so they encourage us, they urge us. He implores us here in Hebrews 12, he implores every runner in this race, throw off the sin that so easily entangles you. And it's got us something we've got to keep doing. We don't do it just once. But the question is, how do you do that? How do you do that? Well, for me, it's about daily choices. It's about surrender. It's about a commitment to holy, healthy living. It's about the importance and the discipline. It's about the holy habit of confession. I need to stand and kneel before God on a daily basis, and I need to say, God, will you forgive me my sins as I forgive those who sin against me? God, like David, I need you to create in me a pure, a clean heart. Throwing off sin involves an ongoing discipline and habit of being honest with God and honest with ourselves about those decisions that we make, those attitudes that we hold, those words that we speak, those actions that we do that are wrong, that are sinful, that are destructive, that are tripping us up, that are damaging our relationship with the Father. And so if we're going to run this race, if we're going to keep running, if we're going to finish well, if we're going to stay the course, then we must deal with sin. Sin must never become a trivial issue. And therefore, confession needs to be increasingly embedded into my prayer life. So we run supported. We must run unhindered. Throw off that excess baggage that's weighing you down. It's not that it's wrong in and of itself, but there's stuff that's going on in our lives that's slowing us down. And also get rid of the sin that so easily entangles. Because we're in a battle here. And then thirdly, we must run with perseverance. Run with endurance the race that is set before us. And I know it goes without saying And there's a dangerous state in the blatantly obvious, but I'm reasonably good at doing that. The Christian life is not a sprint. It's not even a 10,000-meter run. The Christian life is a marathon. It's an ultra-marathon. And unless we get that and we grasp that, then we'll never appreciate the track that lies ahead. We'll never appreciate the course that has been set before us. Because to run it requires sustained effort. To run it requires a dogged determination, an inner resolve, a disciplined intention, because there will be challenges along the track. There will be obstacles in our way. There will be times when you're gonna have to dig deep, times when you're gonna hit a wall, times when your spiritual muscles are just gonna ache like mad, times whenever pain is inevitable and hardship is a given. And as you run, you just think, do you know something? I just don't have it. I just don't have it on me to keep going. I don't have it on me to persevere, to endure. And the original recipients of this letter, they were all too aware of this. They were all too aware of the need to endure because as we've said all along, they were up against it. They were up against it at all kinds of levels. The temptation to them to pack it in was incredibly real. The possibility of quitting and stopping running was tangible. And so the writer says, listen, you've got to realize that this is a long course. You're in here for the long haul. And therefore, if you're going to last it, you need to run with perseverance. And for us, that mindset's essential because cruise control isn't a viable, sensible option. We've gotta take the long view. There won't always be perfect conditions for running. There won't always be smooth running surfaces, sun on our faces, and no hills. And therefore, to complete the course, to cross the lane, it's gonna require perseverance. And for lots of people I know, when you talk I like guess this, this all sounds like a blinking nightmare. And you just kinda of go like, where do you sign up for the park run? but there's a real paradox here, isn't there? Because running this course and running this like this is the path. It's the way of life in all its fullness. This is the track. This is the commitment that leads to the praise, the eternal praise that will never fade away. So what does Paul say to the believers in Corinth? Run in such a way, run in such a way as to get the praise. That requires perseverance. Perseverance. It requires endurance. Can it give me a nest for the long haul? So run supported, run unhindered, run with perseverance. But you've got to keep reading on because if you stopped there and you just left it at that, there'd be a sense in there would be a real heaviness here and a real difficulty. But the next critical piece of advice is the secret of persistence. Run with your eyes focused on Jesus. Run looking onto Jesus because he is your author. The author, he is the founder. He is the pioneer. He is the source. He is the perfecter of your faith. He is the one on whom your faith is founded. He is the source. He is the one who's completed it. He's the one who's done everything necessary to secure your salvation. He is the one who cried, it is finished. So therefore, he has perfected your faith, source, perfecter. And so it's now down to us to fix our eyes on him in order to run and so that we can run. And yes, the reader has said, yeah, look at all these people who have gone before you, all these heroes and heroines of the faith, named and unnamed. That's great. Look at this great cloud of witnesses that surrounds you, but you know, over and above them. And in much, much, much sharper focus has got to be Jesus, the one who ran the course before you, who actually pioneered the way, the ultimate forerunner who brought it to its completion. He's now your pace setter. We're called to follow in his steps, to run, to walk as Christ walked. He's your supreme example. He's your role model. But what exactly does it mean? What does it actually mean to fix our eyes on Jesus? How do you do that? How do you do that practically? How do you do that daily? I know we sometimes sing, and we've made reference to this before, we sometimes sing that little chorus, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face. What does that actually mean? What does that look like today, tonight? What does that look like tomorrow? Well, Clearly it doesn't involve looking at Jesus with our natural eyes. But it means looking at Jesus with the eyes of faith and the eyes of the heart. It's about nurturing our belief in who Jesus is. It's about reflecting intentionally in what Jesus has done. It's about discovering and reflecting more of his character. It's about engaging with his teaching. It's about following that in order to shape us and mold our lives. It's about living by Jesus' words. It's about maintaining our commitment to deny self, to take up our cross, to deny self on a daily basis, and to follow him. That's what it means to focus. That's what it means to fix your eyes in Jesus. All of that and more. And so as you continue reading the rest of verse two and all of verse three, the writer says, listen, I want you to contemplate the exact nature of the race that Jesus ran, how his race led him to opposition and ridicule and shame and crucifixion. But in order for us to enter that race, Jesus had to run that way. He perfected, he completed our faith for us. And now, as verse three says, he's seated at the right hand of God. He's awaiting our arrival across the finish line. So another dimension to fixing our eyes on Jesus is the need to fix our eyes and focus on the cross. Here's what it costs Jesus. Here's what it cost Jesus so we could enter this race. Here's what it cost Jesus so that we could run. And this is so very, very important because when you consider Jesus, when you fix your eyes on him, when you reflect on what he has done, what he has went gone through for you, that says the right, that is what should inspire you. Even though it's hard, I know. But Jesus is your source. Jesus is your perfecter. Jesus is your peace setter. Look at what he has gone through for you. And so look to him. Why? So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And Christians do get tired. Spiritually tired. We do get tempted to give up. As these original readers were. And the writer says, just don't do that. Instead, instead, Look unto Jesus. Consider him. He endured the cross. He endured the shame. He endured hostility in order that you could be part of this. In order that you could join in. In order that you could run to the finish line to get the praise. Life in all its fullness. So it's not only how you start that matters. We know many, many people who started well. But it's also how you finish the counts. And how do we make sure we do that? You run supported. You realize. You remember. There's a cloud of witnesses surrounding you. You run unhindered. Offload anything that weighs you down. The sin that entangles. Run with perseverance. Run with endurance. In for the long haul. And run totally focused.